Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Nancy Murdoch, and you are listening to Nancy at Noon. This weekly podcast and radio show is to help baby boomer grandparents just like you learn how to leave an audio legacy for your kids and your grandkids while you still can. I share lots of tips and tricks and my own personal stories and other stories that everyone can relate to, regardless of your situation in life. Since we are in the middle of summer vacations, I thought I'd focus today's episode on stories about road trips. I've got three stories from three different generations, and I know you will enjoy them all. Before I get started, I just want to let you know that if you want to reach me, you can reach me by email at nancymurdoch at live.ca, or my website is nancymurdoch.com, phone number 519-396-9864, and I will repeat that at the end of this show. The one thing all us baby boomers have in common is that we are losing more friends and colleagues to heart attack, cancer, and Alzheimer's faster than we can count. How many of your friends and family members died this year? How many of them left an audio legacy for their family and loved ones before they passed? How many of their kids wish they had taken the time to document and record their life stories before their parents and grandparents passed? Your kids and grandkids aren't going to ask you for it while you're alive. They're thinking about themselves. But once you're gone, they're going to be thinking about you. And they're going to wish they had spent more time with you and had some quality recordings of you telling them all about the time you smoked pot with the other hippies at Woodstock or jammed with Bob Seger. Your grandkids probably don't even know he had a rock and roll band and countless hits before he sold a piece of his song to promote Chevy Trucks. Side note, Bob Seger actually came to my tiny little Canadian tourist town a couple of times. He didn't sing or anything. I think he came in on a yacht or something. I heard about it after he left. One of my sister's boyfriends played sax in his band at one time. And I remember my sister saying she met him a few times when the band got together or had a party or or something in Michigan. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Life has changed. We've all changed. But that shows you how easily memories get forgotten. Since we are knee-deep in summer, and summer is about vacations, traveling, and taking road trips, I thought it'd be fun to play you a few audio stories that three students created after taking my course, The Complete Guide to Creating Audio Memoirs for Your Grandkids and Loved Ones. Each story is very different, and the storytellers' reasons for taking the course and telling their stories are also very different. The storytellers come from three different generations which goes to show you that it's not just baby boomers who know the value and maybe even the urgency of creating their audio legacies. The first story is called A Road Trip into the Unknown by Susan Stepnow McLeod. Sue has three adult sons, and one of her sons will be getting married in the near future, and perhaps a new generation will spring from that union. 
But Sue was looking at the bigger picture. She wanted to record her story in order to preserve her heritage, not just for her immediate family and future generations, but for others up and down her family tree who may also be looking for knowledge about this particular branch of her family history. This story is about when Susan and her mom went on a road trip to Saskatchewan, one of the prairie provinces of Ontario. They were on a discovery mission to find out more about her mom's family. Sue told me there were missing pieces to what she knew about her family history on her mother's side, and you know what? She wanted to find out all she could while she still could. Susan had some interesting revelations along the way. No matter where we think we're headed, all journeys take us down the pathway to self-realization. Susan learned some things about herself and about her mom. She decided to focus on the road trip in this life story and devote another story entirely to her inner revelations. The growth that can happen between two people has always fascinated me. I mean, really, that's what relationships are all about anyway, learning about yourself and the other person. So I'm going to tell you what I thought was the coolest thing about this experience. Sue saw her mom in a whole new light. She saw her adventurous spirit come to the surface, even though she was in her late 70s or early 80s when they took this trip. I sometimes wonder how my daughters see me and and how different their perspective would be if they actually saw the mischievous glint in my eyes when I jumped ship on my trip to Scotland. I was actually with a church tour group, so it would be more accurate to say I jumped tour bus and went off on my own to have scandalous adventures. When we met up again on the plane ride home, no one from the group would sit next to me. They wouldn't talk to me or acknowledge my presence. The woman in the seat next to me on the plane called the flight attendant and said I was in the wrong seat. Seriously? You're going to judge me that much and bother a flight attendant because you think I'm an untouchable? My adventures weren't scandalous. They were just adventures. Get a grip. I wasn't in the wrong seat. But somehow I had suddenly become a leper. Anyway, the point is that just because our baby boomer bodies have aged doesn't mean the fire in our soul has faded or the sparkle in our eyes has gone out. It's important that our kids and grandkids know this. And if you don't tell them, no one will. Have a listen to Sue's story. Maybe it will inspire you to go on your own heritage-seeking road trip. Hi, my name is Sue McLeod. I am the daughter of Sylvia Jesse Scarf and Boris Stepnow. I'm sharing this story for the benefit of family members yet to come. The story is known as Road Trip into the Unknown. It began with a knock on a door and not knowing who or what was behind it. Mum and I were on a road trip. We were looking for some evidence of her Baird family, my mum's grandparents. We had very little info to go on. Not knowing how to start, we went to the little town of Davis. It almost doesn't exist today. We almost missed it altogether. If we hadn't have happened to notice the broken, fallen-down sign lying at the bottom of a signpost and then following its directions for 12 miles to find this little ghost town, we would have missed it altogether. Mum saw a house when we got there that actually looked like it was lived in and wanted to knock on the door. I was feeling rather cautious. I wasn't really sure about the neighborhood we were in or if it was safe to do so. My mum was in her 70s at the time, and she boldly went to the door, knocked on it, and went inside when she was invited in. I was getting a little bit concerned because a few minutes 
felt like ours. I wondered if she was okay. I wondered if it was safe for her to be in that house. I wondered if she was going to emerge out of that house. I really didn't need to worry because only a few short minutes later she appeared at the door, was waving me in, and told me to turn the car the car off or turn the engine off so that I could come in and visit with the man she'd just met at the door. So once I was inside, I was introduced to Conrad Amiot. He had lived there all his life, and I quickly learned about Western hospitality and that I really didn't have much to worry about. He had invited us in for lunch. We had a nice omelette that he prepared from fresh eggs he'd gathered that morning. And then, to my great surprise, my mom accepted a glass of homemade dandelion wine from him. I became concerned about that just because I didn't know if it was appropriate for us to be accepting alcohol from a stranger in the middle of the day in a house we'd never been in before. He told us that he was related to the Bairds, the same family we were looking for, and he told us stories about the relatives that he knew. It was really very interesting information, but the most helpful information he gave us was when he pulled out a history book of the Davis area, and it listed the names of all the families who had lived there and of the families who had contributed their stories to this book. So the reason we had been invited in the door was when Conrad learned that my mom was looking for Baird relatives he told her that he was related to the Bairds and perhaps they were long-lost cousins. We were pressed for time that afternoon and we still wanted to find the cemetery that was located near a church that had burned down many years before that my grandfather used to preach at. Conrad offered to ride with us to find the cemetery. I was amazed by that. I wouldn't have got into a car with a bunch of strangers from Ontario who had just drank my wine. I didn't mind him coming along on the road, but I wondered how far he was going to travel with us that day. The roads are long, and they're barren, and there are great big mud holes on the way to the cemetery, and I was concerned what we were going to do if we got stuck. In those days, we didn't carry cell phones with us. I was concerned about our safety, and for that of Conrad as well. He did take us directly to an area that didn't look much like a cemetery to me. There weren't any signs marking it to say that that's what it was and there seemed to be a lot of shrubs that he described as carrageena bushes that grew in a tangle all through the cemetery. It soon became evident that we were going to have to search for a while to find the graves. There weren't many headstones. A few of them laid down in the grass horizontally, and some of them had no grave markers at all except for maybe a stone or something that indicated that there was something located below, but no words written on them. I wasn't sure if they were actually buried here, but Conrad felt sure that we would find the graves of these relatives. He didn't remember exactly where to look because it had been a long time since he'd visited the graves, but he, you know, was able, we sort of spread out looking around the area that seemed to have maybe about 40 graves there, some marked, some not, and then he found these headstones underneath the carrageena bushes, and on the headstones were the names of my great-grandmother, Mary Ann Young, and my great-grandfather, James Baird. After a time in the cemetery, just reading the dates and finding a few other relatives related to James and Mary Ann, we knew it was time to go. We were pressed for time because we had to make our way back to the airport, and we had to drop Conrad back at his house. There was lots to think about on the ride back to the airport and on the flight home. There was so much to digest just from the information that I had learned on that trip. I had gone there with a feeling of not wanting to be disappointed because I was afraid that there might not be anything to be found and I wanted to protect myself from possibly not knowing or finding out who I really am or where I came from or who the people were that I was descended from. 
And then after a while, I began to feel overwhelmed because there was so much information available. I hadn't expected to find so much, and I also had to leave a good deal of it behind. What I did learn while I was out there was that there were a few family secrets, that the family, the Baird family, took a three-year journey to get to Canada from Scotland. Fortunately, within that book, there were some of their letters even contained in Conrad's book. And it told me a little bit about that journey and how difficult it was to make, traveling both in the winter time and in the heat of the summer. Sadly, I didn't have a book of my own to bring home with me, and I felt like I'd left some valuable information behind. And as time would have it, when I returned home, I soon became busy with my work, and the months passed, and I'd think about it from time to time. But I didn't ever think that I would have that information or see that information again. So unbeknownst to me, my mother had gone to some work in that time, and she had contacted Conrad out in Saskatchewan and asked him how she might be able to go about acquiring a copy of a book like he had. It had been uh, printed with all of the copies sold and distributed a decade or more before, so it wasn't like we could just go to a publisher and ask for a new copy. My mom actually ended up placing an ad in the Prince Albert newspaper and asked if anyone happened to have a copy of that book or knew where she might be able to find a copy to purchase. Fortunately, someone responded to her ad. It seemed somebody in their family had died and there were extra copies of this book left behind and they were willing to sell it to my mum. So, that Christmas, 2006, I was surprised to see a package under the tree with my name on it. We were at the age where we had children of our own and we were busy giving them presents and we didn't so much exchange presents from my parents to us kids anymore because there were so many children and grandchildren to provide presents for. But there was a present there with my name on it and it looked like a book and I never dreamt that when I opened that package I would find a copy of that very same book that Conrad had. And within those pages were all those wonderful stories that I thought I'd had to leave behind and wouldn't find again. And so it gave me a couple of weeks worth of good reading into the new year to learn all of those stories and read them and reread them and visit them from time to time. And I think the big lesson out of this story is that we really shouldn't be afraid to take chances or afraid of an outcome that we expect and that maybe doesn't happen. Because if you don't take those chances or if you don't travel down that road into the unknown, you never know where it might lead. You never know what you might miss out on. And it almost always turns out for the better. In this case, this story certainly did. much, Susan. That was awesome and inspiring. I'd like to go back to Scotland and visit the towns and cities where my grandparents and great-grandparents were born. It'd be a very different trip this time. The next story is by Patrick Chiknita. Patrick isn't a baby boomer seeking answers to his heritage, but nonetheless, Patrick was curious about the online course I was teaching and really wanted to learn the process and record a story. He didn't have time to take the online course, so he signed up for my one-to-one personal story coaching. Even though Patrick really wanted to start creating an audio legacy, he didn't think he had any interesting stories to tell. This is a common concern with a lot of people, but one that is so easily remedied. I had previously compiled a list of over 100 story topic suggestions as part of my course. 
I gave the list to Patrick, and once he skimmed through it, he was able to come up with a few memories that he, he thought might be interesting to tell. So I did a little brainstorming session with him. Then the floodgates opened and the ideas poured out. Sometimes it just takes the right person to help you find the story you really want to tell. Patrick decided to tell the story about a road trip he took one hot summer day. Patrick is originally from British Columbia, but came to Ontario a few years ago to work. For those of you who aren't familiar with Canada, British Columbia is on the farthest west coast of Canada, on the Pacific Ocean. Patrick wanted to send his first audio legacy to all his friends and family out west so they would know that there is much more to Ontario than just Toronto. He wanted to give them a snippet of how he spends his weekends, at least one of his weekends. This story is about having a fun adventure in Bruce County, Ontario, with a couple of friends. Take it away, Patrick. Passing through that grotto blue. It was a sunny beach day in July 2011. The summer was hotter than average. I had a friend from BC, Tracy, visiting for the first time to Ontario. My fiancé, Chad, and I decided to take her on the I Can't Believe This Is Ontario tour, showcasing the Niagara Escarpment and Lake Huron. When asked about Ontario, most people from BC think only of Toronto. Big city, nothing crazy. So we drove the two hours from Port Elgin to the Bruce Peninsula National Park outside of Tovamare, through the hillsides, the farms, and the trees. After parking the car... We walked about 20 minutes through the forest to the edge of a cliff on the eastern shore of Georgian Bay. The limestone cliffs were white and tan. The water was an incredible blue with the summer sun. It was gorgeous, like something you see in a travel magazine. The water was so clear, our eyes could follow the cliffs down, past the water surface, to a point where they disappeared into the dark of the deep water below. The beach at the right was busy with people suntanning and frolicking about the shore. There were a few brave souls cliff diving. We took a short walk along the trail near the edge of the cliff to the left, away from the beach, to the top of a small bay. Below to the right was a huge cave. Its mouth was at least 40 feet high, and there was a dark pool of water inside of it. The rocks at the mouth pretty much cut off the pool from the water of the bay, but there were small channels where the bay connected with the pool. At the outer wall of the cave, the side closest to the lake, the dark water of the sunless cave, way down deep, was a sphere of blue light. It was sunlight entering the cave through an underwater passage that connected the pool in the cave with the main lake. The only way to describe this brilliant blue is that grotto blue. We climbed down the cliff and into the cave. The air became cool against my skin, and the sounds of the waves and voices echoed around. Several clusters of people were there, mostly youths in their 20. Some were on the ledge of the pool, some in the water. Chad and I jumped into water with our goggles. The water was fresh, but warm for the Georgian Bay. We dove deep down to see the sphere. I came up for air and immediately dove back down again to look at the light. It was so rich with color and somehow so inviting. Before I swam up, a young guy swam into the blue and slowly disappeared. When I broke surface, I asked his friend how long of a swim was it to go through the sphere to peer out on the main lake. It's not that far, but you have to watch it. When you think you're through, you're not. There's a ledge, so you may have to swim out as you swim up. I'm a fairly strong swimmer, so I said, I gotta do it. Chad and Tracy questioned my judgment. Are you sure you can make it, asked Chad. Is it worth it, wondered Tracy. But I had to experience that blue. I wanted to have that blue fill my vision and to feel the cool crystal water against my skin. 
I put on my goggles, and as I was about to dive under, I had some doubts. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm not in the shape I used to be. I inhaled a deep breath. My doubts skyrocketed. I'm still a smoker. <coughs> I'm sure people have died doing this. I don't want to die doing something foolish. Before I could give further thought, my head was underwater. I just had to do this. My arms reached for the blue below me. It was exhilarating, but I had to pace myself. I kicked and kicked my legs, propelling downwards, and the pressure building up on my ears, the water growing colder. But that grotto blue grew brighter in my eyes, and I was determined to swim through it. I swam down and down through the dark, cool water closer to that blue. So beautiful. I have to do this. So blue. My lungs were full of breath and starting to burn. I could feel the strain on my arms and my legs, too, but that light grew brighter until I entered the sphere of light. I entered that grotto blue. The blue was so bright and contained by the soft tans and whites of the limestones. Everything looked so clear and vibrant, including my hands and arms and the soil below. I felt so exhilarated, electric, floating through that grotto blue. I wanted to stop and savor that blue, but the water was cold, and I could hear my heart beating, and I could feel my lungs getting tired of old air. I continued through until the ceiling gave way and the blue expanded above me. I did initially think I'm out, but I wasn't. A small ember of heat ignited my lungs. My limbs moved with a little bit of urgency. The blue grew a little brighter, but not bright enough. I looked up, and the tan and white of the rocks told me the surface was still not above. I kept swimming and looking not for that grotto blue, but the pale blue of the surface water the pale orb of the sun shining on the water surface. I kept moving my arms and legs. I could hear my heart beat faster, and my thoughts came faster. I can't believe I just went for it. I can't believe I won't make it. Just keep moving. Keep calm. Stay calm. The surface is there. I can't believe I might die here. Don't breathe out. Keep moving. I don't want to die doing something reckless. My lungs are burning. The blue is thinning. My head broke to the air, and I struggled to keep my head above water. I don't even remember breathing. Only the burning in my chest started to fade. As my eyes adjusted to the sunlight, I thought, Wow, I made it. That was incredible. Damn. Awesome. Ah, oh, damn. I still have to swim back to shore. But at least now I can breathe. I can breathe while I swim. Looking back, would I do it again? Absolutely. Not for the pride or the bragging rights or the sense of accomplishment. I would never recommend anyone to just swim through. I'd recommend taking flippers to help propel you, to take away the strain and the exertion and the fear. I'm just so happy that I passed through that grotto blue. I would do it again just to go through that grotto blue. take a dive in the deep blue of that grotto too. But I'm not going to. I like swimming when the air of the sky is always directly above my head. But I do commend Patrick on his bravery. Patrick hired me to do the post-production work with his story. That meant I edited the bloopers out of his voice track and added sound effects and music to help it come alive. I sent him both versions, one with voice only and the other with voice, music, and sound effects. 
After he heard his story, he told me how shocked he was at how much the sound effects really added to make his story more engaging. I think of these audio legacies sort of like the old-fashioned radio shows that families sat around listening to before TVs were invented. They make you use your imagination and engage several senses, not just your ears. In your mind, you are smelling the lake water, feeling the icy water against your skin. You're creating images in your mind for what the scene looks like. The sunbathers, the other swimmers, the rocks, the seagulls. That's why I chose to create a program where you can learn to create audio legacies. I truly believe the younger generations have lost their sense of imagination and creativity. With everything on video, no one has to read or visualize anything. Everything is completed for them. There was a study done in 1927 called the Zigernick Effect. I hope I pronounced that right. Which states that you are more likely to remember and recall uncompleted tasks than the completed ones. The brain has a powerful need to finish what it started or complete things that have been left incomplete. Bluma Zigernick first noticed this when watching waiters in a restaurant. The waiters remembered complex orders only as long as the order was in the process of being served. After they were delivered, the information, poof, vanished from their minds, whereas uncompleted orders seemed to stick in the waiters' minds until they were actually completed. That's why cliffhangers work so well on TV and why we binge watch entire episodes of programs on Netflix. Our minds need to complete it. When we're holding things in short-term memory, we have to rehearse them, otherwise they disappear, like a light going out. This requires cognitive effort, and the more things we are rehearsing, the more effort. This is actually a positive quality. I think all things in our body, mind, and spirit are positive, but we don't have enough knowledge to know how to use it properly. I'm not going to take time to go into it here, but I encourage you to do some research for how this can benefit your grandchildren. I love using my garden example, maybe because it's partly an excuse for me not having a perfect garden. I'm sure you know people who have a perfectly manicured lawn and garden. The concrete path is edged precisely. The grass is cut to exactly 2.5 inches. The flower garden was planted in rows with coordinated flower colors. The lawn ornaments are clean and standing up straight in the most strategic spot. You know the occupants of the house wear suits, Prada, and store-bought diamonds set in real silver or gold. And they have exactly 2.5 children to match the height of their lawn. Which, by the way, a landscape company takes care of every Thursday afternoon at precisely 2 p.m. Now let's look at my yard. The grass is all different heights because I cut different areas on different days. Because cutting it all on one day is exhausting. I don't cut to the edge. I leave those areas a couple feet tall because it's where the fairies play. I often find new holes in the yard that some unknown animal has dug. I hope it's rabbits, but I did see a skunk milling around the other day. Flowers pop up randomly at will, wherever and whenever they desire. They aren't so self-conscious that they need to coordinate with the rest of the landscape, especially the dandelions. They love to play games and duck when the lawnmower zooms over their heads, and they don't care who or what they mingle with. And the fence. All I can say is that people think I was drunk when I built it. No one thought I designed it that way. But since I don't drink, and I am an artist and a creator, what other explanation could there be? Some say it's crooked, but I say it's quirky. 
hey, I'm not saying one yard style is better than the other. Each has its purpose and place in the world, kind of like Lady and Tramp. Both are perfectly lovable dogs once you get to know them. But Tramp is a bit rough around the edges, which makes you wonder what kind of life he led and what's going to happen to him from here. So, of these two gardens, which one is complete and which is incomplete? That's right. The perfectly quaffed yard has been completed for you. It requires nothing on your part. Once you walk past that house, you are going to forget all about it. Whereas my yard, and I'm certainly not bragging, requires you to use your imagination to complete it in your mind. How can you not wonder what's hiding in the tall grass or what kind of person lives in the house behind the crooked fence? In my own defense, it's asymmetrical, not crooked. The point is, it requires you to use your imagination whether you think you are doing it or not. This is so important for all of us to do, not just our grandkids, but especially our grandkids. That's why I encourage audio recording of your legacy stories rather than video recording. Sure, it's nice to have some video memories of loved ones, but it's the audio stories they are going to play over and over. Patrick told me that after he heard the finished version of his audio story, that he realized how the voice coaching I gave him helped him convey a lot more emotion into his story. He said with the tips and tricks he learned, he is more confident and able to tell more engaging stories to his nieces when they sit around the campfire and give more engaging oral presentations at work. So there are lots of benefits in learning how to create a story from a fond memory and deliver it in a way that makes people want to listen. And, of course, with the techniques I teach, each time you create and record a new story, it just gets better and better and better. For me, it never stops being fun. The next story I'm going to play for you is very short and was created by Jean Murdoch, my mom. Mom is turning 95 this summer. It's your birthday, yes, it is your birthday. We are super psyched. We are super psyched. And she loves writing and recording her stories. I turned her on to it last summer, and she has been going strong ever since. In fact, she is so prolific, I can't keep up with her. Seriously. I'm going to bring her to Kincardine to stay with me for a while this fall so I can catch up. She and I are actually creating an entire audio legacy collection of all her stories. She does all the writing, then I sit with her and go over her stories, asking her questions about each particular experience to help her fill in the details that she sometimes leaves out, usually interesting details that she took for granted, but I have no idea about, either because I didn't live in the 20s, 30s, or 40s, or because I could never have known. I found that when people share their life experiences, they leave out a lot of details that are often very important to the story. Things such as where it happened, how old the person was, who else was involved, what time period it was in history. I mean, really, mom's 95. She went through a lot of decades. The person telling the story is actually reliving the experience while they're speaking. So they are fully immersed in the details. In their minds, they see their surroundings as if they have stepped into a movie of the past. They hear the noises. They smell the scents or the odors. They feel the hot, the cold, the rain, or the snow on their skin. They know if they are three years old or a teenager. They know if they're happy, sad, or angry. They know if a loaf of bread cost a nickel or that when you went on a road trip, you had to stop every 30 miles to change a tire. 
I don't know if it was 30 miles. That's probably an exaggeration. But they didn't get as far back then as they do today on a tire. Side story, my mom told me about a time when she was a young girl and her, and her family went on a road trip to, from uh, Windsor to Amherstburg to have a family picnic. It was about 18 miles away. My grandpa stopped near a farmhouse to change a tire and he encountered a rattlesnake. Mom said he picked up a long stick to fend off the snake, but fortunately the farmer came along and intervened. The farmer said the snake would have just slithered up the stick and get him faster. That story gives me the eebie-jeebies. Also, on a road trip my aunt and uncle took with a friend way, 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 way back when, uh, the car they were driving stalled on the way home in a hilly landscape, and the guys had to push the car up and down hills to get it home. They didn't have AAA back then or roadside assistance. It was also an open-air car with no roof or glass, so if it rained, they got wet. As listeners, we don't know any of that unless we're told. When we tell our life stories, we don't realize that our listeners weren't there with us. You are the guide. You are your listeners' eyes, ears, skin, and emotions. Listeners need to know certain details in order for the story to make sense to them. And that's where I find storytellers need the most help. I am truly interested in hearing and helping people craft an interesting story because every individual is unique and the experiences they you have lived through are unlike anything anyone else has ever lived. We all share common universal themes, but each experience you have lived is truly your own. Let me play you in the next recording by my mom. It's about two minutes long and is more of a fond memory than a story, but it's in keeping with the theme for this episode because it's also about a road trip on rails. So, a railroad trip. <laughs> Train ride. My family, mother, dad, Vivian, and I, visited my grandparents in Toronto several times every year. Dad couldn't always drive us because he had to work, so instead of driving the car there, we often took the train. The train station was right downtown by the Detroit River on the Windsor side one block from the Main Street or Lead Avenue. I always loved going by train because we had the freedom to walk around, which we couldn't do in the car. We usually took a book to read or a coloring book and crayons to color. The highlight of our trip was having supper in the dining car. We sat at a wonderful table in front of a window and could watch the fields, houses, and telephone lines go by. The well-dressed waiter would take our order and we would sit nervously waiting to be served. The food always tasted of the best. This was at a time in our lives that we never went to a restaurant because it cost too much money. So this outing was really very special. Other times when we went by train, Mum packed lunch, which we ate in our train seat. Vivian and I sometimes argued about who would get which seat facing backward or forward. So Mum decided that we would switch seats on the train in London, Ontario, which was kind of halfway, so we could both experience going backwards or forwards. When we arrived in Toronto, we were usually picked up at the train station by my Uncle Jimmy or maybe my Uncle Jack, who took us to Grandma's house at 151 Campbell Avenue. The end.
Mom? Sounds like you had a lot of fun in the dining cart with your sister and your mom. I plan on going on a road trip this summer to the East Coast. But before I do, I want to encourage you to take your own road trip and come to King Carden, where I live. I may never have mentioned this before, but I run a bed and breakfast in the spring, summer, and fall, and I'm going to start offering experiences along with your stay. You can be one of the first ones to stay in a cool old Victorian home with a non-manicured lawn, lake here and down the street, and learn how to record your life legacy in person. Yep, come stay at my home and let's get your stories recorded. I will be posting info on my website and on my social sites, so be sure to check it out. My website is nancymurdoch.com. My bed and breakfast site is called awesomeartbnb.com with the letters spelled out, B&B. awesomeartbnb.com. Until next time, keep it cool. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.